Soulmates, welcome to it. The conversation on this Wednesday. We want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. So it's all about the latest on the company that made it known that they're only hiring white employees. Mm -hmm. Plus the National Action Network convention is underway. We'll have a special message from the Reverend Al Sharpton for this year's event. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Plus the hot water Amazon is in for labeling some companies as black owned and they're not. And Little Richard, he has a new documentary and we will have all the details of the stories that impact our people. You know the deal, soulmates. It's our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation today, the Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has sued House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan for attempting to intimidate and attack his office's work. Jordan has been investigating Bragg's prosecution of former President Trump and subpoenaed a former prosecutor who worked on the Trump investigation. Bragg filed an indictment charging Trump with felony counts of misclassification of business records. The lawsuit seeks an injunction to back or to block, rather, subpoenas of Braggs's office. After being expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives for supporting gun control legislation, Justin Jones has been reinstated by unanimous vote of the Nashville Metropolitan Council. In a powerful speech after his reinstatement, Jones called for the resignation of Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton, whom he called an enemy to democracy. Although Jones is back as interim representative, he must run in a special election to secure his seat permanently. Justin Pearson, another expelled representative will learn his fate tomorrow when a county commission in Memphis votes on his reinstatement. This is, uh, you know, good to hear. We've had a few guests who talked uh, very adamantly about how they felt uh, these two gentlemen would be reinstated and be reinstated with a lot of fire behind them. You know, trying to find some positive in the pandemonium which their expulsion uh, caused you know, here are some stars that have been born. I mean, I'm going to admit that I did not know or was not very familiar with both the Justices, uh, Justins, both these reps, uh, and immediately uh, following their expulsion, and not just their expulsion, but their response to, mm -hmm. to the expulsion, mm -hmm. and just how um, how eloquent they were, and, and still preaching nonviolent protests and things of that nature when people's uh, anger was at an all-time high. People were just taking taken aback by uh, what the, the House in Tennessee did. Uh, I wouldn't found them immediately on social media. I am mm -hmm. a big fan uh, following them across their media uh, platforms. And um, I'm just looking forward to some great things from both of these yeah. young, well-educated, aware, woke astute black gentleman. And, you know, this is what democracy looks like. Mm -hmm. To your point, the fact that, you know, it was unanimous yeah. in terms of the folks that voted to send Justin Jones back. Um, you know, a num number of folks are predicting that there will be a similar vote for uh, Justin Pearson. Uh, but, you know, there's been calls for Speaker Sexton to step down. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is powered by the fact that there are so many people, at least according to the polls, mm -hmm. you know, that believe that this move was really anti-democratic. Mm -hmm. uh, that it was strictly a power grab uh, and, uh, you know, they... And racially they, motivated. And racially motivated. Yeah. And they think that there shouldn't be a place for that in the Tennessee State House of Representatives. Yeah, agree. All right, so let's go to Florida now where Representative Webster Barnaby faced backlash after making offensive comments during a legislative hearing. Now, the gathering was in regards to a proposed bill that would criminalize using bathrooms that match an individual's gender identity if the restrooms don't 
match their biological sex. Now, during his speech, Barnaby compared transgender people to, quote, mutants and called them demons and imps. His remarks sparked a divided debate on social media. While some users criticized his viewpoint, others supported him. Barnaby apologized to the trans community for referring to them as demons. Well, you know, Courtney, when I saw this story, this rough, uh, it, was, it was rough. Um, my immediate thought was, I wonder, you know, what sermon he was listening to this Resurrection Sunday um, that would have allowed him to call human beings mm -hmm. mutants. Mm -hmm. He's an elected official, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we expect more of people that occupy public offices. And so, you know, I was really uh, ashamed for him. As you should have been. And, I, you know, it, for me, it doesn't matter really almost what you believe, um, but when, when you're in a public forum, you're an elected official, and when it's time to express maybe some of your differences, you're gonna have to find some better words, you know, and, and maybe leave your personal beliefs, uh, your offensive words, um, you know, at the door or at home, you know, because people, you know, they can think what they wanna think and they can believe what they wanna believe. We're never gonna control that. But as a, a, a public elected official, mm -hmm. it is your duty to choose words uh, that can get your point across, but do not offend and, and desecrate and totally just annihilate a whole movement of people who deserve the same rights. And dehumanize. That's right. Can't have that. Well, Senator Tim Scott announced the launch of an exploratory committee for a potential presidential bid, making him the latest Republican to enter the 2024 contest. His announcement sets up a potential matchup with fellow South Carolina Republican Nikki Haley, who recently launched her own bid. Now, as the only black Republican Republican in the Senate, Scott had been inching towards a campaign launch and has hired former GOP Senator Cory Gardner and Republican operative Rob Collins to co-chair a super PAC to support his efforts. His Senate campaign had nearly $22 million cash on hand at the end of last year. In his announcement video, Scott accused Democrats of using race to divide Americans and emphasized his conservative values. All right, there are a lot of soulmates excited about the National Action Network's annual convention. It's kicking off today in New York and will run through April 15th at the Times Square Hotel. It will be attended by high-profile individuals such as Vice President Kamala Harris, Tyler Perry, Kerry Washington, and Magic Johnson, amongst others. Founder and President Reverend Al Sharpton talked a bit about this year's convention. If there ever was a time we need to convene, we need to come together from all over the country and deal with the issues that are still before us, from the reforming of the criminal justice system, to dealing with our economic needs, to dealing with education, crime. Nothing is a larger gathering than the National Action Network Convention. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.nationalactionnetwork.net or you can call at one 877 626-4651 and pre-register is free. Say I'm coming April 12th through the 15th. I can only do one day. I can do a half a day. I can do two days. Whatever. But be part of shaping history and join me and many of those well-known government officials, civil rights leaders, faith leaders, youth activists, grassroots activists, and educators at National Action Network Convention. 
All right, Alvin, uh, Reverend, the four-day event will include panel discussions, plenary addresses, and events designed to empower black Americans during this crucial time. And I don't know if any, any, anybody will be as sharp as the Reverend was with that, <laughs> that red suit on. We loved it. We he loved it. He was very sharp. Yeah. He was very sharp. And I, you know, I wonder, you know, if Senator Tim Scott might be making a visit oh. uh, to the National Action Network. I know there are a lot of uh, folks out there, potentially some of our soulmates, wondering, you know, mm -hmm. who, who is Senator Tim Scott mm -hmm. as he prepares to, to run for president. Is he more of a Clarence Thomas Republican or is he more of a Herschel Walker Republican or, or something else? Or maybe a Colin Powell uh, Reco maybe. Republican. You never know. And, and as black folks, maybe we should dig a little deep, even if you, you know, are, are on just one side of the aisle. You know, where I identify with uh, Scott is uh, his, his background and his upbringing. He didn't come from much. Uh, and uh, he, he survived and he won against a lot of odds. So that part of his story even if, you know, I don't necessarily agree with his politics, that side of the story of his journey, I can definitely identify with, as I'm sure a lot of folks uh, might be able to. It is a very inspiring, encouraging story. He didn't, he didn't come from much. That's right. Very interesting. Well, King Charles III has expressed support for research examining the British monarchy's connection to slavery after a document surfaced showing an ancestor's involvement in a slave trading company. Professor Brooke Newman found the document, which highlights the involvement of the British monarchy in the slave trade. The publication of the document has added impetus to calls for the royal family to thoroughly investigate their historical links to the transatlantic slavery. King Charles III and Prince William have expressed, quote, profound sorrow and the, at the appalling atrocity of slavery. Well, you know, water is wet. <laughs> That's your favorite. You know, we've been saying that a lot now because a lot of these stories and stats and, and reports and things of like that nature, you go, well, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, look, this is, uh, is going to be something, you know, ongoing, this, this narrative, this discussion, this, this argument, because it is so deeply rooted in, you know, how we formed as a country, you know, coming from up under, you know, uh, Britain um, and our storyline. And, uh, you know, even even as we take a look at uh, this this man being, you know, crowned uh, and just the separation that's happening, you know, with his family and, and parts of his family, namely uh, Harry, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat, in my opinion, owning up uh, to the history of his family and, and how uh, damaging that history has been, you know, but he's still a part of it. You know, I, I believe he's accepted an invite to, to, to be next to his dad as his dad is crowned. So I don't know if you can ever really sort it out and get to the bottom of it and some come up with some sort of resolution or understanding because it is just so um, it is so divisive and it's just so uh, it, for me for me it's based in just evil pure evil. yeah yeah but you know what you know there are a lot of evil things that have been done in the past mm -hmm. um, there are other communities that have received reparations mm -hmm. there has been efforts to address the harm done and so you know I think it's one thing to say oh you know you know we feel you know a deep sense of sorrow mm -hmm. about the involvement of our family in the transatlantic slave trade. I think at this point in 2023, people want to know, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Coming up, Amazon is in hot water with black shoppers. That's right. We'll tell you the decision that was made by the company that many are calling misleading and false advertising. We'll be right back. This is Fox Soul's Black Report.
want to welcome you back to Fox Hills Black Report. So let's go to Virginia, where a tech company called Arthur Grand Technologies has faced backlash after a job posting for their Dallas office stated they were seeking white candidates. Mm -hmm, that's right. The post specified that only, quotes, born U.S. citizens within 60 miles of Dallas should apply. The company has apologized, stating that they do not condone discrimination based on race, color, or religion. Okay, but like social media users criticized the apology as, quote, damage control, but applauded the junior employee who posted the job requirement for calling out the company's racism. Arthur Grand Technologies has requested that the public uh, not further question the incident. So you put this out there, and now you don't want anybody to talk about it after this is just so blatant. And, and if you don't feel this way, which is hard to believe how does it process and get all the way to a public posting well you know Virginia's supposed to be for lovers it's the state Virginia for lovers right yeah they ain't no love in this job post <laughs> whatsoever no love for the soulmates no no love for the soulmates and and shame on them shame on them you know mm -hmm. for 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 saying the quiet part out loud mm -hmm. somebody put that in there uh, to the point where it was it was published. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it says something about the culture that's afoot within yeah. that company. Um, you know, I read that this company actually has ties to to Warren Buffett. And yeah. so this is not just some, you know, ho-hum uh, company out there. They should be they should be doing so much better. So now that we know how this company really feels in real life and in, in, in real time, I'm wondering, are there any black employees there uh, who might pull up, who might resign, you know, quit, or by way of, you know, rebuttal, you know, maybe find themselves without a job um, and you know as black potential applicants do we you know not apply to these uh, type companies or with the fact that you need a job and the job speaks to you kind of outweigh the fact that this is how this company feels so on the other side of that it kind of leaves some questions as to how we continue as black folks to process what we now see you know in real time because normally it's not until sometimes you get the job and you get into the culture where you go hmm yeah, yeah, and, you know? and, and think about the black employees that are there, right? Right, and how how that would make them feel, mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, kind of it may confirm what a lot of them may feel day to day. Well, Amazon is facing criticism after a report from the for the from the information found. Uh, that the company gave small business and black-owned business badges to companies that did not meet the criteria. Mm. Now, the company claims that the small business badge is for U.S. companies with fewer than 100 employees and bringing in less than $50 million in revenue. But multinational <coughs> corporations with thousands of employees receive the badge. Similarly, non-black sellers receive the black-owned business badge. Amazon has, has removed some badges after being confronted, but not all. Some sellers are calling on Amazon to resolve the issue and stay true to its commitment to amplify small and black-owned businesses. <laughs> you see this got me choked up here. <laughs> Excuse right. me for that. Um, listen, again, we, going back to the previous story, um, you know, where is, where is the overseer? Uh, you know, where are the people who are responsible for, you know, giving these badges out and not properly going through the criteria? And what is the point to have programs like this in place and then there's no checks and balances? And and so, you know, you know, shame on, on Amazon and it sounds like it's a quick fix. And again, I go back to the, the whole idea that you have to care. Yeah. Our producer made a great point in our morning meeting. He said, look, I don't have a problem with it. Now I know 
you know, what, what Amazon is up to and, and, and the same with the story prior to. Now I know how these people really feel so I can redirect my business or, you know, redirect my job application to make sure that I'm not, you know, affiliated with, with folks who aren't serious about what they say they're trying to be serious yeah. about. But, you know, when I saw this, I thought of this as a call to action <clears throat> uh, for the folks that work at Amazon that do community partnerships mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, the... Uh, U.S. Black Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the National LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. These are national organizations that exist to give people that stamp, that mm -hmm. certification, you know, as minority businesses, as black businesses, <coughs> as disadvantaged businesses. And so, you know, this is a sign that they should probably be working much closer with them because uh, I don't know if they can handle this in-house. I don't know. So let's talk about a company who's trying to work much closer with uh, Soulmates. Uh, they're investing in black women-owned businesses through one of its uh, one million black women initiatives with $2.1 billion already being invested in businesses and nonprofits. So the initiative aims to positively impact one million black women by 2030. And Goldman Sachs has committed to $10 billion in investment capital and $100 million in uh, philanthropic uh, capital. The advisory council includes Valerie Jarrett, Condoleezza Rice, and Issa Rae, and will provide 23 million dollars in philanthropic uh, capital to assist close to 250,000 black women. Research shows the best way to close the racial wealth gap is by investing in black women. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is celebrating Fair Housing Month 2023 with its quotes, choices for all voices, building an equitable future theme. This commemoration marks the 55th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act, which guarantees that everyone has the right to obtain housing of their choice, free from discrimination. Throughout April, HUD and its partners will raise public awareness of fair housing rights and highlight the importance of creating inclusive communities. The Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, uh, family status and or disability. Up next on Foxo's Black Report, it's Black Maternal Health Week and we want to increase awareness. That's right. When we come back, we'll have Angela Stanton from Auntie Angie's house that's doing a great deal to help black mothers. You're listening to Foxo's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Today we'll be discussing the black maternal health crisis which affects black women at disproportionate rates. Recent studies have shown that systemic and institutional barriers make it very hard for black women to get high quality care before and after giving birth. Joining us today is Angela Staten King, the founder of Auntie Angie's House uh, with an inspiring story of perseverance and hope. We wanna welcome you to the Black Report. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show to discuss this very important topic. Indeed. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us about Auntie Angie's house. Tell us all about it. I love it the name. And the inspiration <laughs> behind it. <laughs> 
Well, you know, for about the past 15 years, I have been what some would call pro-life and God has used me to encourage mothers to make the choice of life in 71 babies. And then with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we often get criticized and say, you know, pro-lifers, they don't care about the baby after it's born. They only want the mother to go through the pregnancy. And I said, you know what? Here's a way that I can show that I care. In addition to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we began hearing about the black maternal health crisis and how black women are three times likely to die compared to white women when giving birth to their children. So I started looking at the numbers and I said, wow, you know, something isn't right. We have to do something about this. If the mother is dying giving birth and then abortion is taking place on the other end, what does that mean for black life? So Auntie Angie's house is a pregnancy home for women facing a unplanned pregnancy that are in crises and need. We take them in when they're pregnant, even if they have other children. They can live in our program for up to 18 months where we will train them, make sure that they meet all of their educational needs, give them all the resources that they need to transition them back over into society. It just makes me think about my own story because, you know, there are times when some women just need a little bit of help. Yeah, indeed. Um, as you know, we already mentioned the black maternal health crisis is a significant issue that disproportionately uh, affects black women. Briefly talk about some of the root causes, uh, in your opinion, uh, of this crisis. Well, to me, honestly, it's just not access to great health care. I mean, mm -hmm. because when you think about it, birth is a natural thing. I mean, when I think about my grandmother, she gave birth to my mother and my nine aunts and uncles, and she wasn't in the hospital. Birth has been a natural thing since the beginning of time. And when they say, you know, black women are dying three times likely compared to white women, that's almost like saying, you know, all black horses are dying or all black cats are dying. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think that we need to get back to the more natural ways of birthing, where we're reducing the chance of having to have a C-section. We're reducing the risk of medical interference with our newborns. It's just time for us to take back our control and take back our power. And, and speaking of some of these natural ways of giving birth to reduce the risk of, of complications uh, and improve the overall health of, of women, um, you know, and we've, we've heard, you know, a number of stories in the headlines, you know, Erica Badu, mm -hmm. for example, is a doula, uh, and I think she helped, was it SZA? Mm, I believe so. Summer. Summer, Summer Walker, she helped Summer Walker, you know, deliver uh, uh, recently. Talk to us about some of these natural methods of giving birth and, and some of the benefits and how popular they are with some of the folks that you're working with. You know, one of the most important things that I would like to point out is that you get to choose your own birthing position. I went in the hospital, I gave birth to five children, and you'll notice oftentimes we're in the hospital and we're giving birth, we're laying on our backs and we're going against gravity. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits of birthing at home is being able to choose your own birthing uh, position, also being able to have more bonding time with your newborn. In addition to that, we lower the risk of medical intervention. We see so many times that we give birth to these healthy babies and next thing you know they take them from us they're gone for three or four hours they come back a week later we're hearing something happen 
We need to get back to the natural ways of giving birth to our children. And it's also a less chance for infection or sickness when there is a natural birth at home. And again, C-sections. We know that C-sections are also contributing to the black maternal health crisis because you have a lot of women that are hemorrhaging and then are bleeding out. I think the best thing that we can do um, as a community is to get back to the natural way of just about mm. everything, not mm. only birthing. Yeah, but you, and we bring it up the conversation about doulas, and there has been a big debate. There are a lot of, you know, hospitals who are now uh, squeezing out and getting rid of doulas. Uh, I, I think they probably see them more so as a threat than as an ally. Uh, it might even be about the bottom line. We we always know it's about that dollar. Your your thoughts on that about doulas being removed from um, from hospitals? I couldn't agree with you more. It absolutely is about the dollar because that's another thing that I was going to say. Yeah. If you're having birth at home, you're saving money. Mm -hmm. You're not running up thousands and thousands of dollars in hospital bills. And we see so many times in the medical industry, just the overreach. I mean, times you go to the doctor and maybe it's just a headache and oh, you need a CAT scan, you might have cancer. And by the time you got your third appointment, you find out it's nothing because they're running up the bill. This isn't <laughs> just in pregnancy. This is just about in everything. But the best thing for us to do is to get back to the natural ways of yeah. birthing, even breastfeeding. That's some of the things that we encourage over at Auntie Angie's house. We just saw our nation had a shortage when it came mm -hmm. to uh, yeah. when it came to baby milk. But in addition to that, we're seeing so many lawsuits where these babies are having bad reactions to this milk that's just not natural. And the best thing for the baby is the mother's milk because mm -hmm. guess what? The baby's been marinating in there for the past mm -hmm. nine months. Marinating. have the best <laughs> recipe for the baby. Right. You know, and, and we've seen so many of these food recalls mm -hmm. as well. And so, you know, all the more reason for people to consider other natural options. And so tell our soulmates, where can they go to support uh, Angie's house? Where, they, where can they go to learn Auntie more? Angie. And more importantly, where can they go to, to join the movement uh, to support black women's maternal health? Wow, guys, make sure you head over to AuntieAngie'sHouse.com. This is not anything that's political at all. This is just about us coming together as a community and being a hand for people that are facing crises or are in need. You can head over there, find out all of the ways that you can help. Remember, we're hearing so much about this black maternal health crisis, but nobody is coming up with a solution. This is one of the solutions. We need to see an Auntie Angie's house everywhere. One of the things that I noticed and, and I have to be blunt when I say this, mm -hmm. in our communities, we get abortion clinics and in their communities, they get fertility clinics. Mm -hmm. Let's finally give these young ladies a real choice and get Auntie Angie's house in every community across this nation. Guys, head over to AuntieAngie'sHouse.com and you guys can also follow us on IG at Auntie Angie's House. Angela Stetton, King, you are on fire. All and right we now. appreciate you. You are much needed. We thank you for getting into good trouble. You are now an official soulmate. We got to have you back to uh, continue this conversation. We thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys. And thanks yeah. for helping me spread the word. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye, honey. Keep up the good work. The U.S. national emergency to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic has ended. President Joe Biden quietly signed a bipartisan congressional resolution this week to bring it 
To a close after three years, the White House issued a one-line statement Monday saying Biden had signed the measure behind closed doors after having publicly opposed the resolution, but not to the point of issuing a veto. The national emergency response allowed the government to take sweeping steps to respond to the virus and support the country's economic, health, and welfare systems. Some of those emergency measures will now be cut immediately. Mental health stigma is a major issue in the black community and we're seeking therapy or counseling is sometimes discouraged. Despite the challenges, advocates are working to break down the barriers to accessing mental health care and provide resources and support to those who need it. Yeah, and uh, we have the pleasure of speaking with Kobe Campbell, a licensed trauma therapist, author, wellness advocate, and podcaster. She's releasing her debut book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith Tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Kobe. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to share with you guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So can you tell us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to write about healing? Oh uh, man, you know, you spoke about the stigma of mental health. And, you know, I remember being young and in college, struggling with depression, trying to figure out how my, my depression like integrated with my faith. Mm. And I struggled to find a black therapist. Mm. I struggled to find someone who looked like me, who I didn't have to explain my context to. I struggled to find someone who I felt like I could just fully breathe and receive the services from because it was really stigmatized. And so this book really is about helping people understand that they have trauma and that dealing with their trauma doesn't negate their faith, that dealing with their trauma really can enhance their faith and their faith can enhance their trauma recovery and their healing process. Because, you know, for me, I was just lost. Mm. I felt like why am I like this? That's why the book was named that. I felt like there was no resources as a young black woman to figure out why am I feeling this way? Why am I stuck in these patterns? Why can't I break these cycles? And so I wrote this book really for every past version of me that lives in someone else who's looking for resources to live a life that they love and enjoy um, and not feel like they're stuck with the, the card that life has handed them. Yeah, and we're, as you're talking, we're looking at the video it looks like you just uh, were thumbing through a, a print, a new print, a hard, uh, soft copy, and you're crying, very passionate, uh, you know, about this journey. So as you have journeyed on, what are some of the common misconceptions about trauma and healing that, that you've encountered in this work, in this, in this journey? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that trauma and deep pain is a moral failure. That if you feel bad, it's because you are bad. If you feel bad, it's because you did something bad. It's some type of consequence coming back to you. And I really invite my clients into a curiosity instead of just asking, like, why did I do that? Asking what happened to me? that made me want to respond in that way? What experiences have I had that have led me to these patterns that I'm trying to break, but I'm struggling to break? I think another misconception is that trauma always has to be physical harm. Hmm. That mm -hmm. is absolutely not true. The part of our brain that processes physical pain also processes emotional pain. Our brain doesn't differentiate them. So words hit, hurt just as much as someone hitting you and rejection hurts just as much as someone pushing you. And I think 
on a heart level, we know that, but I wanted to have the science to back it up. I wanted to help people know, I'm not just telling you it hurts because I care about you. I'm telling you it hurts because your body is telling you that, and that's worth listening to. Kobe, you have you have a significant following on TikTok. Um, tell us, how has social media helped or hurt your advocacy work and attempt to reach a wider audience? Oh man, I think, really I think for the most part, social media has really helped. I think that people want to get the information to understand themselves a little bit deeper without having to pay the immediate price of being vulnerable with someone that they don't know, right? I have thousands and thousands of DMs from people who are like, I'm finally going to therapy because I'm finally accepting and realizing that something might be wrong. I'm finally realizing and accepting that I might have anxiety, I might have depression. And so I've enjoyed giving little bits and pieces um, to people so that they can see for themselves. You know, I always say, if you can talk someone into something, you can talk them out of it. But when you experience that sense of like, oof, that resonates, that's what moves people to do something about their pain and social media has really helped me do that. Yeah, and you are a busy, busy sister, <laughs> aside from all the hats that you, you know, you wear, you've, you've got the book. And then in addition to that, you host a podcast, it's called uh, The Healing Circle. Uh, you host that with your husband, Kyle. How is that process of creating a podcast and sharing your experiences uh, with your husband? What is that like for you? Oh man, it has been beautiful to mm -hmm. be quite honest. Mm -hmm. I think that my work has helped my husband heal and I mm -hmm. love having him as a co-host, as a black man who's a co-host, mm -hmm. as a black man in corporate America, as a co-host who started out as a mental health skeptic. It's not that bad, you know, he's a military brat. It's not that bad, suck it up, work harder. Nobody cares, just do the right thing. Wow. And if you're experiencing this, it's because you're just not disciplined enough, you're not working hard enough. And my husband gets to be the voice of really the heart of many of the people who are listening mm -hmm. because many of them can identify with where he started more than they can identify with the information I'm sharing. And so it's been a really sweet gift to um, see him grow in his healing, but also a really sweet gift to provide people with expert information and then dad jokes through my husband, plus <laughs> to the truth that you can go from someone who didn't think depression was real to being a mental health advocate. Yeah. And it is safe to heal as black people, it's safe. We can find safe places as black men, as black women. It's safe for us to heal. We deserve healing. Healing is part of our inheritance. Healing is part of our birthright too. Mm. We do not have to continue to suffer and we get to create resources and environments that help each other heal. And I'm just grateful that, you know, my podcast gets to be that for people. Yeah, Kobe, Amen. you are amazing, Amen. amazing. Amen. And, and I hate that you had to go through what you had to go through, but on the other side of it, this is your yeah. calling. You are anointed yeah. and we just appreciate you and your message and your work. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you're, re yeah. you're really, you're really going to help a lot of people mm -hmm. with your podcast, with your work, your advocacy. We really thank you. Uh, please come back again yes. to Fox Souls Black An Report official soulmate. anytime. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Thank you for joining us. 
And still ahead, the man behind majority of the music we love today. And I think Nicole and I are responsible for a whole genre of music. I'm talking Lil Richard. That's right. We'll tell you all about the new documentary about the legend's life as we speak with the director herself. Mm. You're watching Fox O's Black Report. It's going to be good. Welcome back to Voxhole's Black Report. Well, Rihanna hit yet another new career high point this week. Yeah, she has edged out uh, Katy Perry to become the most followed woman on Twitter. Mm -hmm. With just over 16,000 followers separating them, both women are hot on the heels of the third most followed man on Twitter, who is Justin Bieber, who uh, at press time had 113 million followers. They all wow. pale in comparison to the second <laughs> most followed man on Twitter. Who that? Former president. President Barack Hussein Obama, who uh, sits at just under 133 million, with no surprise, uh, Chief uh, of Twitter Elon Musk sitting atop Twitter Mountain with more than 134 million followers. Yeah, and he probably gained a lot of those followers just so they can keep up and see what he was going to do with Twitter, mm -hmm. especially Black Twitter, which we know which we know run things when it comes to when it comes to Twitter. You want all your news information and some humor? <laughs> you go to Black Twitter. That's right. They'll, they'll give you everything. How, however, if there's a TV show or a movie you haven't seen yet, don't do it because you spoiler alert all day. Well, it's good to all see right. Rihanna winning. Indeed. There's a documentary that shows us the incredible talents of none other than Little Richard. The docu will be called Little Richard, I Am Everything. The Tutti Fruity singer became one of the first rock stars to bust onto the scene with the song in uh, 1955. The documentary attempts to put Little Richard's complex legacy as a black queer man in the 1950s in context. Little Richard, I Am Everything will hit select theaters for one night only uh, this week. That's right. And joining us now is director of Little Richard, I Am Everything, Lisa Cortez. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. Hi, everyone. Hi, Miss Lisa. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, welcome. Well, uh, Miss Lisa, tell us what inspired you to make a documentary about Little Richard and his influence on rock and roll? Well, when Little Richard passed away in uh, May of the 2020, the pandemic, his music was everywhere. It brought me a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that so many interesting people were talking about how he influenced him. Um, as a documentarian, I thought, oh, let me check out a documentary on him and realized that his story had not been told. And the more time I spent researching, I discovered that he gave us so much, mm -hmm. not just the music, the fashion, the attitude, but he helped to shift the energy of culture. And he needs to be talked about. He needs to get his crown back. And um, more people need to know about all the ways that 
um, he should be elevated. Yes, and he made it very clear that he was not getting his flowers while he was physically with us. And with that in mind, how, how Miss Lisa, did you navigate, you know, telling the story of Little Richard with this very complex, complicated world that he lived, lived in, while also trying to highlight uh, and celebrate his impact on, on music history and an entire genre? Well, I started out by giving him the mic. Mm. You know, I did a lot of archival research with my team to make certain we could use his voice to narrate his story, to give him that agency that he oftentimes felt was denied to him. But then I also realized that oftentimes uh, Mr. Penniman was not the most reliable narrator. And so I brought in uh, interviews with great folks uh, ranging from Nona Hendricks and Nile Rogers to mm. Mick Jagger and Tom Jones, uh, the incredible black and queer scholars um, to and his friends and family to be in conversation with some of the statements that Richard uh, gave us through the course of his life. And I, and I just want to pick up on that thread because you're right, in the film, and it's a great film, I had a chance to watch it, uh, you interview family and musicians and as you mentioned, black and queer scholars, but can you speak to the importance of including these perspectives in this documentary, particularly at this point in American history? Well, this, this so many of the themes in this film are dealing with issues we are grappling with now. Black history, queer history is under attack. And what we all know is that the truth of history frees all of us. And if somebody is presenting laws against the teaching of the complexity of our histories, films like this are really important because they are deeply researched and they are an antidote for everyone who says that black history should uh, not be taught, that black history does, is, does not have a place for all of our children to know about. So we know that uh, Little Richard was absolutely a trailblazer, especially for his self-expression, but also he, he struggled with his own identity. How did you approach uh, that uh, in this particular documentary? Well, you know, Richard tells us in himself that his journey is a bit of a roller coaster. Um, his origin story is one of contradictions. His father's a minister, mm -hmm. he owns a nightclub, and he makes bootleg whiskey. <laughs> and, you know, Richard went to two different kind of churches. He went to the Holy Roller Church and he went to the Moore State Church. And Richard's on a roller coaster ride for a good portion of his life mm. because it is difficult for him to reconcile his devout relationship with God and on the polar opposite side, his lifestyle as a rock and roll sinner. Mm. And so he is literally going back and forth. He's at the top of his fame in the late 50s and he throws it all away and he goes to Bible college mm -hmm. because he wanted to be closer to the study and the ability mm -hmm. to deliver the word to other people. But then 
there are pressures that bring him back into uh, performing rock and roll again. And, and so, you know, I believe that he contained multitudes, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes people are not able to embrace the complexities mm -hmm. they have within. I think in Richard, that's where a lot of the magic came from, which was the complexities. Yeah. Ms. Lisa, the, the film challenges the whitewashed canon of American pop music. Can you speak to the significance of, of telling stories like Little Richard's, um, not just in today's climate, you know, uh, in the United States, but considering what's happening in the world? Um, and before we go, also, please remind us uh, of the release date of the film so our soulmates can know when and where to go check it out. All right. Well, on April 21st, the film will be available theatrically and also on pay-per-view. Hmm. So like you can buy it on Apple, Google, wherever you go. And you can also go in select cities and have that theatrical uh, experience. And it is a great one to see on the big screen. He has such a beautiful, expressive voice and, um, and he's beautiful to look at too. Um, and the music, you know, is going to bring back a lot of, of great memories. Um, you know, these stories are important because just as a culture elevated Elvis, it erased Richard. Mm. And when you are taken out of the narrative, not only are your um, tremendous contributions in the case of Richard uh, left out of the history, but you know, uh, appropriation and obliteration is something that has happened and continues to happen to black cultural production. And so I think it is so important to make certain that this erasure be corrected mm -hmm. in the case of Little Richard. Of Little Richard. And we want to thank you uh, for putting this together for us to, to take a look at and to really take that in. Uh, Lisa Cortez, the brainchild behind this new documentary featuring uh, Little Richard. We thank you so much for your time. And, and we'll have to have you back after this thing launches and, and, and have more of a, of a discussion on this uh, incredible life. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Still ahead, our favorite segment, it's all about black excellence. That's right, we'll tell you all about the librarian who's working to give out thousands of free books. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. Baltimore County names its first black police chief. Although Baltimore is predominantly black, there has never been any representation leading the way in policing. Yeah, folks are excited about this one. Robert McCullough, that's the name. He replaces a former chief, Melissa Hyatt, who you see here. She was the first woman in the position. Now, she was relieved of her duties due to concerns about a hostile work environment, failure to address uh, violent crime and ill-equipped officers, and her, her availability was also in question. Now, 
McCullough returned to the department after a brief retirement in 2021 and will now lead the nation's 21st largest police department, bringing over 35 years of homegrown experience. At a recent press conference, McCullough acknowledged the real and lasting distrust between police and the community, saying every person in Baltimore County deserves to feel safe mm. and know that they're safe in the places where they live, work, and raise their families. All right, best wishes to him. Now we want you to meet the librarian, giving away 1,000 free books to black kiddos. That's right. <laughs> Araba Mays is a mobile librarian from Baltimore who is on a mission to increase access to books in underserved areas. Hi, my name is Araba Mays and I'm installing free book vending machines in book deserts across Baltimore. The goal is to provide underprivileged children and their families access to high quality, diverse books. These books are theirs to keep, take home and start building their in-home libraries. Bring to mind your favorite book as a child. Maybe you remember bonding over a bedtime story or escaping on a faraway adventure during the night of a big storm. Your favorite book probably comforted you, distracted you, healed you, or made you laugh. Every child should have books in their homes to call their own. I'm eliminating book barriers by embedding books back into the community. The plan is to partner with local businesses and county authorities to place free vending machines and bookshelves in high traffic areas of low literacy communities. Think small businesses like barbershops, laundromats, and everyday spaces like subway stations, bus stops, and the lobbies of hospitals and low-income housing units. We know communities with high illiteracy rates are also high in rates of poverty, poor health, and unemployment, while their literate counterparts are often healthier with high employment rates and incomes. By providing children with the literary resources they need now, we interrupt a cycle of illiteracy that has plagued our communities for decades. As a librarian, I spent years curating books. That's why our selections will reflect communities that they are in and address community-specific needs. This means books for children with characters that look like them, talk like them, celebrate the same holidays, and share the same struggles. This is for a worried child in a hospital waiting room, kids with incarcerated parents, and teens with questions they're often too embarrassed to ask. Funds will be used to rehabilitate vending machines, purchase books, and pay staff wages. Reading changes lives from educational outcomes and social mobility to emotional well-being. Increasing book access means improving lives and strengthening communities. So who wants to join me for a reading adventure? An adventure for a child to keep forever. Ooh, amazing. Now, with yeah. her uh, book story project, Mays aims to provide books to as many children as possible. Let me tell you, you have a purpose, which is for her to bring literacy and access uh, to children across Baltimore and beyond. And then you have a mission by way of her nonprofit. And, you know, to bring that together, mm -hmm. to, to bless this world and to salt this earth. It all started sitting on a stoop, uh, reading to her five-year-old niece. Yeah. And she noticed other kids around the neighborhood would come. And so it was like a set appointment time and then she was like you know what I want to take this to the streets 
and therein lies this mission. I just love the idea of a mobile librarian mm -hmm. and what, especially in a time like this, what an act of resistance, yeah. considering how many book bans there mm -hmm. are around the country and mm -hmm. challenges around us, teaching black history and affirming our black kids. And so big salute to her, yeah. major salute to her. What an what a innovative idea and uh, what, an, what an opportune time to do mm -hmm. it. So now let's meet a black mathematician uh, is the first to have research displayed in the Library of Congress. Her name is Gloria Ford Gilmer. She's the first black woman to have research in the manuscript division of the Library of Congress there in D.C., which holds around 12,000 total collections. Gilmer made her mark in her hometown of Milwaukee, where she was the first black math instructor in the public school system and the first black math instructor at uh, Milwaukee Area Technical College. She was also the first black to serve on the Board of Governors for the Mathematical Association of America. That's right. From basketball to the geometry of hair braiding. Mm. She researched math in everyday culture, intertwining mathematics and civil rights. Gloria Ford Gilmer died in August 2021 at the age of 93. What an amazing life. And what I loved about this story is she like intertwined, uh, you know, social and, and civil rights into mathematics. Beautiful. All right. For the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox uh, Soul video on demand of any of our partners and you can access uh, past shows and other black centered content. Don't forget uh, soulmates to download the Fox Soul app. It is free. That's a good one today. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Delia-Corte. On behalf of the entire team here at Fox News Black Report, stay lifted. And stay safe. We'll see you soon.